Amen. That's good, isn't it? That's good stuff. <laughs> Some of you can relate, right, to uh, the in-laws not warming up to you right away. <laughs> well, I want to welcome those of you that are here that are new visitors over in the venue. Thank you, Jared, for leading worship over there. And those of you that are watching online, welcome. If you're listening on the radio, we're glad that you're with us. Um, You'll take this shell, all the, the verses, most of them anyway, are inside here. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to see the Word of God uh, for yourself. Uh, if you do have a Bible, you can turn there. They'll be up on the, the jumbotrons and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just want you to know before I get into this, next week's Mother's Day weekend, and if God doesn't come back, we're going to have a, a special time with all the moms and grandmas, really all of the, the gals that, that come. And I uh, want you to invite a friend, invite your, your grandma, I don't know, invite your mom, whoever it might be. And I've got a, a kind of a special message that I'm going to do. And if you're a parent or you're a grandparent or someday you want to be a parent, you're not going to want to miss um, next week. It's, it's going to be, it, it'll be uh, special, okay? Well, we're in a series here um, called The Fruit That Makes a, a Marriage Great. And as I've told you throughout the weeks, it's really a, a series on relationships. So whether you're um, single, you know, or married or whatever, you're going to get something out of it. And I want to start by praying for a, a, a special group, and that is those of you that are engaged. If you're over in the venue or you're in here and you are engaged to be married, okay, I want you to stand up, okay? Engaged to be married. Come on, anybody? Oh, a bunch of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. There you go. Now stay standing. Whole bunch of you. Probably over in the venue too. Uh, Father, thank you for these that are standing, and what a, what a great, unique little moment in time this is. I pray your blessing upon these relationships. May they understand that a um, wedding doesn't make a marriage, but it's a great way to kick one off. And so, Lord, uh, speak to them here this morning, and I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you're married, stand up. If you're now married, okay, I want you to stand, grab your spouse's hand. If they are next to you, uh, put your arm around them, uh, whatever it is you, you, you wanna do there. <laughs> Appropriate and mixed crowds here. Anyway, uh, over in the venue, you stand. Father, thank you, Lord, for these that are standing. Some have been married weeks, some months, some decades, Lord. But regardless of where they're at, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would speak to each one of them. And I believe that you have a message for them today, regardless of how long or where they're at in their marriage. Thank you for the miracles that have taken place over these last few weeks. And I believe that there's a miracle waiting to happen here today in maybe some of these folks that are standing. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, sit down. Okay, uh, that leaves one last group. You're single. Could be because you're young, you know, it could be because you've gone through a divorce, it could be because you're a widow, widower, whatever that is. I want you to stand. And um, I've given you two words, and those words are choose wisely. Choose wisely. Here's the deal statistically speaking, most of you will probably get married. I know there are some of you that won't, but the, the likelihood is pretty good that you will end up getting married at some moment. And uh, the wisdom I can give you is this, just choose wisely. We, we uh, tend to be attracted to one another on, on an outward appearance. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing evil in that. There's nothing wicked in that. 
The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at our hearts. Now, we're not the Lord. So, so you have to look at the outward appearance. That's where it begins. But it's during the dating process. You're having some coffee, you're having some food, you're at a movie, you're driving around, you're meeting each other's parents. That's when the wisdom comes in. You're beginning to think, is this the kind of guy I want to spend the rest of my life with? Is this the kind of gal that I want to spend the rest of my life with? Is this the kind of guy or gal that I would want my own children to grow up and be like or meet? Do I have a great amount of respect for this person? Are they hardworking? Are they ethical? Are they moral? Whatever all those things might be. It's not just how cute they are or how good looking they are. There's something far more weighty that you're looking for. Father, thank you for these that are standing over in the venue. I pray, Father, that you would give them great wisdom. Some are dating now. Some might be dating next week, next month, next year. I don't know when it'll be, but may they always remember those two words, to choose wisely and somehow use even these words today to help them in that area. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our theme verse has been Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, which says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of having Jesus Christ in your life are these things uh, right here. Now, so far we've looked at love and joy and peace and patience, and today we're going to look at, at kindness the importance of kindness in, in a marriage. It's often said that kindness is love in action. I told you in the very first week of the series that, that love is a verb. It's a conduct. It, it's an action. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Now we need to do that. You need to tell your spouse you love them. You need to tell your children that you love them. You need to tell your parents that you love them. You need to verbalize it. That's something God wants us to do, but, but it shouldn't stop there, God says. God says, let us show the truth, let us show the truth that we love our spouse, that we love our kids, that we love our parents, or whoever that might be, uh, by our actions. Love is a behavior, it's a way of acting, it's something you, you do. Love isn't some sentimental feeling down in your, your gut, it's, it's, a, it's a verb, it's a conduct. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. You see, all throughout the Bible, God tells us he loves us. Over and over and over and over again, God tells us that he loves us. And that's a good thing. But talk is cheap, as we all know. God not only tells us he loves us, but the Bible says that he demonstrated it. He just didn't say, hey, I love you. He showed you how much he loved you in that. While you were a sinful person, a loser, you were wicked, evil, you made fun of God, you mocked God, you used his name in vain, mocked the church, he still came and showed you how much he loved you by dying on a cross for for you. And one of the the great ways you demonstrate your love for your spouse or for anybody is when you're kind to them. Kindness is love in action. Now, this past week on my uh, Facebook page, I I asked you to share with me some of the ways that your spouse 
demonstrates kindness. And I just had a bunch of really great ones. Marty Boone, um, who normally sits right back there at Saturday night, said this, in 41 years of marriage, I've only put gas in my car once. My husband fills the tank for me. 41 years? One time. Talk about feeling convicted. I, I, I'm sorry, honey. I, I, I sometimes so her my keys and say, hey, can you fill up my car? I mean, I, I, unbelievable. Carrie <laughs> Thompson said this. He takes, my husband takes the kids to get donuts and coffee every Saturday morning so I don't have to make breakfast and I can get a few minutes of quietness. Isn't that great? Just that, that's a simple act of kindness. His wife apparently has been working hard and doing all kinds of stuff and Saturday's a moment when he can demonstrate how much he loves his wife by saying, hey, listen, I'll take the kids out for some donuts. You, you, you just get a few, few minutes of quiet. J.C. Wheeler said, on days he knows that have been hard for me, he always comes home with dinner or takes me out so I don't have to cook. That's an attentive man. He loves his wife and he demonstrates that love by, by understanding where she's at and if she's had a hard day or whatever, an act of kindness is, I'll, I'll just pick up some food or we'll just go out and eat. Here's the one that's a killer. Jennifer Doyle said this, and you guys are going to hate me. I know, it's too bad. Uh, <laughs> Dave does so many acts of kindness, but the one that makes me just want to squeeze him is when he knows the perfect moment after a long day to walk up to me with a bottle of lotion and rub my feet. What? Countrymen, out of all the things that were put on your Facebook page, you had to read that one, man. Come on. You're killing me. What a, what a great little act of kindness. That he takes the time to do that. And by the way, all of you engaged couples, uh, we all know you're doing that now. We get it. Because we all did the same thing. And then there, then there comes a moment when it's like, eh, 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 I ain't rubbing anybody's feet anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Once again, the, the Bible says, let us show the truth that we love by our action. And all these things I, I just read were practical ways that these spouses were fulfilling this command. And these are the ways that, that these spouses were showing their love or their kindness to their spouses. Now, I want you to understand how important this is to God. Jesus said this, okay, now if you're a follower of Christ, these are his words, okay, if you name the name of Jesus, here's his command to us, okay, he says, I want you to love your enemies, I want you to love your enemies, and for some of you right now, your spouse has now commingled into that, that, that role, huh? She or he's an enemy. And Jesus says, I want you to love your enemy. I want you to, to do good to them. I want you to be kind to them. 
Lend to them without expecting to be re re repaid. Then, when you love your enemy, when you're kind to your enemy, when you do good to them, then your reward from heaven will be very great, and then you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. Jesus doesn't say that uh, when you're sitting in church like this, this is when you're, you're most like God. He doesn't say that when you're giving, you know, when that little green thing went by and you honored him with your wealth, that's when you're acting like the most high. What he said was, is when you are being kind, when you're loving your enemies, when you're being kind to them, when you're doing good to those that are jerks, that are, are, are losers, that's when you're like God. Isn't that interesting? And that makes some sense when you think about it. Because God was kind to you, wasn't he? There was a time in my life I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't believe in him. Mocked him. Made fun of his church and yet God was still kind to me. God didn't come and die on a cross because I was a good guy. He didn't come and die on a cross because I really loved him and cared about him. I was a sinner headed for a Christless eternity. And yet God loved me anyway. And the Bible says that when you love your enemies, when you do good to them, when you care about them, that's when you're acting like the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. I know he was to me. And so you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Beloved, there's no wiggle room with God. He wants you to be kind. Because when you're being kind, whether it's with your spouse or with an enemy, that's when you're acting like God. And some of you just need to remember back. Maybe you've walked with God for so long you forgot about how evil and how wicked and how goofed up, messed up you were. And yet God was still kind to you, right? He still loved you anyway. Look, Romans chapter 2 says this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, how wonderfully tolerant and patient God is with you? That's, that, that's what the scriptures say. Don't you see how wonderfully kind God is? And here's the deal. Some of you don't. Some of you are, are, are believers. And you've forgotten how wonderfully kind God has been with you. And God wants us to be kind to others. Ephesians chapter 1 says, since you are God's dear children, you must try to be like him. That's a weighty thought. God wants you to try to be like him. He wants you to try to be like Jesus. Now here's the deal. You're never going to be Jesus. Never. You're not even going to get close to being Jesus. But God says, I want my people, those that name my name, those that call themselves Christians, I want them to try to be like me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, for those God foreknew, he also, pre, uh, also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You see, once you gave your life to Jesus Christ, uh, you know, things don't come to an end there. 
No, God says, here's the deal. I want to transform your life. I want you to become more and more like my son. That's what I want. I want those of you that name my name to be like Jesus. Hey, husbands, you're to be like Jesus. By the way, wives, you're to be like Jesus. We're called to be like him. And here's the problem as it relates to kindness. Some of you don't realize this, how kind God was to you. You don't realize how kind Jesus was to you, so it's hard to be like him. Hard to imitate somebody that you don't really know. My, um, there was a man in my life for a long time, his name was Rick Liefeld. And if I were to ask you to imitate him other than my wife, there probably isn't anybody in here who could do it, because you don't know him. So if I said, hey, I want you to imitate Rick Liefeld, you'd all look at me like, I, I, I don't know him. But I could imitate him because I know him. And so here we have our, our, our God who says, hey, followers of mine, I want you to be like me. I want you to be conformed or transformed into my image. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three ways that Jesus was kind to you. Because once you know how Jesus was kind to you, you have a better opportunity to imitate that. See, that makes some sense, right? So here, here we go. Number one, Jesus demonstrated his kindness to you by understanding your weaknesses. He cares about you. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Verse 15 says, So then, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses. Unbelievable statement. Jesus understands your weaknesses. He, he, he gets it. For he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, because it's there that we receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Beloved, what he's saying here is that Jesus isn't shocked when you struggle with something. When you struggle with the temptation, when there's some weakness that, you know, goofs up your life, God's not shocked. Oh my, you loser. He doesn't do that. Why? He lived here. He, he experienced all the things that you've experienced. He understands your humanity. Now the difference is, he never gave in to the temptations, but he gets it. He understands um, how difficult it can be down here on planet Earth. He understands how difficult relationships can be. He, he, he gets it. He's experienced it. You don't ever have to worry about waking up in the morning and wondering if God loves you less today than he did yesterday because maybe you blew it on Saturday night. Maybe you blew it on Friday night. Maybe you didn't love the way God wanted you to love. Maybe you, maybe you, you, you drank too much. Maybe you, you, you looked at porn. I don't know what you did. You sinned. 
And you woke up this morning wondering, man, does God love me any less today than he did yesterday? No. He loves you. He understands the struggles that you go through. He wants you to be like his son. But he knows you'll never be his son. <laughs> his son never gave in to temptation. He knows you will. He's not shocked. He understands. So when you come to him and say, God, I'm struggling with the temptation or I'm struggling with a weakness or whatever, Jesus says, I've been there. I, I know what you're talking about. I understand. I get it. I understand that these bodies are so frail. I understand that the spirit within you is willing, but the flesh is weak. I understand. He gets it. Here's my point. Understanding and kindness go together. The more you understand a person, the more you understand your spouse, the more you understand their weaknesses and the things that they struggle with and, and whatever all those things might be, the greater the chances you'll be understanding with them or you'll be kind with them. Galatians chapter 6 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, and let's just make this a little bit more personal. Dear husbands, dear wives, if another believer is overcome by sin, and let's just make it personal, your spouse. Husbands, your, your, your spouse is overcome by some sin. Wives, your, your husband is overcome by some sin. And we all understand that because we've all been overcome by some sin. Sometimes it's our spouse, it's our wife, sometimes it's our husband, right? Sometimes it's your parents. Sometimes it's your children. If, a, if your spouse is overcome by sin, you who are godly should, should gently and humbly help that person, your spouse, back onto the right path. Gently. Humbly. And the only way you do it gently and humbly is when you have an understanding of what they're going through. You see, you show me somebody who's not gentle and humble when they're having a conversation with their spouse about some sinful thing, and I'll show you somebody who's forgot about their own sin that they struggled with. Look, I, I, I don't like the word confrontation. I, I don't want you to ever have a confrontation with your spouse. If you see your spouse has been overcome, you know, by some sin or there's just some weakness in their life, don't, don't have a confrontation. That, that, that has the sound of, of there's going to be action. What I think you see here is God just wants you to have a conversation. Gently. Humbly. Remember your own struggles. Remember your own sin. And have an understanding of what's happening in their life. And you go and you, and you, and you, and you talk to them. And then he says, hey, look, be, be careful not to fall in, into the same temptation yourself. Share with each other's burdens. Share that burden with your spouse, with your wife or your husband. Because when you do that, that's the way you obey the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? 
Bobby read it to you a little bit earlier. The law of Christ is when you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love others like your spouse the way you love yourself. The law of Christ is the great commandment. It's when you bear that burden of your spouse and you treat them and have a conversation with them gently and humbly. That's when you are actually fulfilling the greatest commandment. When people are having a tough time, like your spouse or whatever, they're, you know, they're just dealing with some problem or some weakness or they're being tempted by somebody or something or they've actually goofed up and, and actually sinned, you need to help them. You don't need to be judgmental. They, they, they need you to be gentle and, and kind and humble with them. You need to understand where they're at. Remember, there was a time in your life, my life, when we were unthankful, ungrateful people. We were wicked people. And yet God was, was gracious to us, wasn't he? So here's the first way that you can be kind to your spouse. Okay, here it is. Always be gentle and humble with them. Always be gentle and humble with them. Always. You see that they're struggling with something, have some understanding of where they're at. And don't think so highly of yourself that, you know, you know, well, I'm more like Jesus than you are, and boy, your life's really screwed up, and I'm gonna have this. What are you talking about, man? You're just as goofed up as anybody else. So just gently and humbly, and I want you to write out there, always be gentle and humble and not judgmental. That's the last thing your spouse needs when they're all goofed up in sin. When they're struggling with some, something. They don't need you to be judgmental. Judgmental people have forgot. They have, they, they, they have no understanding of where you're at. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. N number two, Jesus demonstrates his kindness to you by forgiving all of your sin. Yes, he understands your weaknesses. That's that one of the ways he shows his kindness to you. But another way is he forgave you of all of your, your sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. When Adam sinned, it brought sin upon his life. And by the way, it brought sin into that very first marriage. And one of the things that happened when Adam sinned and brought sin into the marriage is that has just been passed down to all of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for all of us have sinned. Every husband has sinned. Every wife has sinned. When you came down that aisle all dressed up in white, ladies, and you saw your man standing there in his little tuxedo, one sinful person married another sinful pe person. And now there were two sinful people living in a house together. And when God blessed your life with that little baby, now you had three sinful people living in your house. And then God gave you another baby. Now you have four sinful people in your home. When Adam sinned in Genesis chapter 3, wow, it messed up everything, and that includes marriages. You now have sinful people who are living together. 
It goes on and says, yet God with undeserved kindness declared that we were righteous. None of us deserved the kindness of God. None of us. And God did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. Unbelievable thought here. That God was so kind to you, to me, that he forgave us of our sins. Because God is kind, he wiped out the record of your sin. He wiped the slate of your heart clean. Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. None. You may have a spouse that's condemning you, but Jesus isn't condemning you. If, if you're bringing condemnation upon your spouse, you're not being like Jesus. You're, not be, you're being like Judas. That's what you're being like. Jesus, if you know the Lord, doesn't bring condemnation upon your life. And that's good news. And this all happened because of the kindness of God. All the crummy things you've ever said are forgiven. All the crummy things you've ever done are forgiven. All the crummy thoughts you've ever had are forgiven. All the crummy mistakes you've ever made are forgiven. And it all happened because of the kindness of God. He was just kind. Because you were forgiven, there's no longer any condemnation. I stand up here right now and God doesn't look down with any condemnation on me. None. Zero. Now I have people out there who email me and call me and they, they try to condemn me. There's always humans out there. Christians are really good at condemning people. <laughs> it's weird because that's not being like Jesus. John chapter 3 makes that crystal clear that Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. So why do we do it as Christians? Why do we do it with our spouses? We're called to be like Jesus. And so let's be like Jesus. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4 says. It'll, it'll just make your mind explode. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. What? Before there ever was a planet Earth, the God that we serve is sovereign. And I don't understand it all. I just know that he knew me before the world was ever created. He knew me before I was ever a twinkle in my mom's eye, my parents' eyes. And not only did he know me, but he chose me that I would be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's God's kindness. The God looks down from heaven and he doesn't see all the fault and all the junk and all the cruddy things in my life. God decided in advance, the scripture goes on, to adopt us as his own family by bringing himself uh, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Listen to me. Here you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And the father says to the son, son, I want you to go down to planet earth and give up your life so that Rick Countryman could stand before me holy and faultless. And so Jesus comes and dies for me a horrible death. And that brought God great pleasure. It brought pleasure to God to send his son to go through a horrific moment so that I could be faultless. Let me tell you one of the things that really makes me angry, and I'm passionate about this. Too many believers, and some of it's because of these loser, heretical churches that are out there. Uh, Some of you have been taught by your parents just an evil thought, and that is this. That God is just waiting for you to blow it. And when you blow it, he's going to be all over you like a cheap suit. He's just waiting to get even. And there he is, and he's got all his angels out there, and they're all just kind of watching, and he's watching, and he's just waiting. Waiting for you to blow it. And when you blow it, boy, he pounces. Woo! If that was the kind of God that was revealed in this book, I wouldn't be up here preaching about him. I wouldn't even want you to know a God like that. The God that's revealed in this book is so incredibly kind. It brought him pleasure to send his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for me to have my sins forgiven. (laughs) He loves me. He forgave me of my sin. And let me tell you something. I know about my sin. I don't always love the way God wants me to love. I don't always show mercy the way God wants me to show mercy. I'm not always compassionate the way God wants me to be compassionate. I don't always use my tongue the way God wants me to use my tongue. If you only knew some of the thoughts that ran through my mind, it'd make you sick. And yet God says, I love you, Rick. And there's no condemnation anymore. I understand your weaknesses. I get it. And I've come to forgive you. And now you stand holy before me without fault. And it's not because of anything I've done. Like I said, I know my sin. It's simply because I've invited Jesus Christ into my life and now the Father looks down and he sees his Son in my life. He sees that his Son was holy and righteous and without fault and therefore that makes me holy and righteous and without fault. Jesus in my life trumps all the sin in my life. That's the kind of God I want you to know. That's the kind of God I'm passionate about telling people about. I know there are some people out there that want to tell you God's angry and God's full of wrath. You know, I've read uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5. I can't even tell you how many times, you know, our, our theme verse. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, wrath, kindness, good. Oh, there's, there's no wrath in there, is there? No, there's not. Anger. I'm not saying that God doesn't get angry. And I'm not saying that God's not a God of wrath. I'm not saying that. But 
But the God that I know so cared about all of us that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, to forgive us of all of our sin. And so it says, the scripture goes on and says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us. Isn't that unbelievable? I want you to sense, feel, if you could, the kindness of God. Yes, he understands your weaknesses, and that's one of the ways that he expresses his kindness to us, by understanding us, but he also forgave us. Now, what does this say about us and how we ought to treat our spouses? Well, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Be kind to your spouse, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So here's the second way that you can be kind to your spouse. Remember, we're, we're to be like God, right? Always be quick to forgive them of their sins. Be like Christ. You're not, you're not gonna be him, but we're to be like him. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, let the wicked leave their way of life and change their way of thinking. Let them turn to the Lord our God. He is merciful and he's quick to forgive. When you go to God and you say, God, I'm sorry I didn't love the way I should have loved. I'm sorry for the way I, I, I allowed my anger to get out of control. I'm sorry I didn't care about my spouse the way I should have cared about my spouse. Would you forgive me? God doesn't say, uh, hang on there a second. I gotta have a little consultation with the, you know, the, the Trinity. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost get together and start talking about it. You know that countryman, he's, you know how many times he has asked for forgiveness? I, I'm tired of, you know, you, you realize he's walked with, with the Lord, he's been a follower for, for 30 plus years and yet he still blows it. Do you know he's a pastor of a church? I, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I don't know. Yeah. That's what we do, though, huh? Spouse comes. Man, I'm sorry for getting angry. I'm sorry for being a jerk. I'm sorry for not loving you. Yeah, how many times have you said that to me? I've heard that a thousand times. Yeah, you may have. Just like God's heard your, your um, confessions a thousand times. He forgives just like that. Just like that. You see, the Bible says we're to be like him. We're never going to be him, but we're to be like him. And he forgives quickly. Just forgives. The Bible says in Psalms 103, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I want you to know that's a very technical verse. Very technical. And I want you to understand this. If he'd have said, God has removed our sins as far as the north is from the south, we're all in trouble. And here's why. If you're at the North Pole and you start heading south towards the South Pole, once you hit the South Pole, now you're heading north again. Now you're heading south again. Now you're heading north again. Now you're heading south again. In other words, you keep coming around north to south, north to south. But if you go west, you're always going west. You never go east. In other words, 
it doesn't ever come back around again. And what God says is when I forgive your sins as far as the east is from the west, that's forever. He didn't say north to south. Too many of us were north to south forgivers. I forgive you. I don't forgive you. I forgive you in a week or a month go by and it's like burying the, 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 the hatchet with the handle out. And whenever you need to, you pull that baby out. Back in 62, I, I remember you did this. And it's just like it, it, it never ends. And you just think, man, don't, don't be that way. Be like the Lord. When he forgives you, he forgives you quickly. And it's over and it's done with. Over and done with. And, and number three, Jesus demonstrates his kindness to you by affirming your worth. Yes, he understands your weaknesses. Yes, he forgives your sins, and those are two ways that he demonstrates kindness. But the third way is he affirms your worth. And this is huge because deep inside all of us, we have a desire to feel worthwhile. All of us. Do you know your husband has a desire to feel worthwhile? Do you know your spouse has the desire to feel worthwhile? We all want to feel significant. We all want to feel that somehow we matter. We want to feel that if we were to die, that somebody would miss us. That we're just not here, you know, taking up space. That our life has meaning, purpose, significance. We all want that. In fact, it's unbelievable what some people will do to try to get it. I've done this 30 years here. I've seen some guys who were so wanting significance and purpose in their life that they literally blew their families off because they worked, 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 worked because they wanted to have a great business. And now they're on their third wife. They wanted significance so badly purpose so badly that they were willing to work to the detriment of their own family or maybe even their own health. Listen, when you truly understand how much God cares about you, how valuable you are to God, it changes everything, which is why it's so important to know, you know, just how much he loves you. In fact, let me share with you one of the great truths in the Bible. Here it is. You matter to God. You matter to him. And how do I know that you matter to God? You can know that you matter to God because of every second, of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade, God is thinking about you. In other words, there's never a moment that God's not thinking about you. Listen to what Psalms 139 says. Where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I run from? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I lie down in the grave, you're there. You, you, you saw my, my bones being formed as I took shape in my mother's body. When I was put together there, you saw my body as it was formed. All the days uh, planned for me were written in your book before I was even one day old. There, there's only one way you know all that. And that is you gotta be thinking about me every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade. 
You matter to God. From the moment God decided to make you, he never stopped thinking about you. Now, you and I will often stop thinking about God, but he never stops thinking about you. Why? Because you matter to him. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. And I want you to know that not all theologians agree on what Jesus was saying here. Okay, some scholars think that the hidden treasure here is Jesus. And that when you find Jesus, like it was possible for you to find him. He's the one that does all the finding. But if it was possible for you to find Jesus, you ought to go sell everything you have. And if it were possible, then you, you purchase, you, you got to get him. And some scholars believe that. And if you do that, that's okay. Some people think that the treasure here is Israel. That Jesus Christ came and gave everything he had, his life, to purchase the whole world in order to save the nation of Israel that had kind of buried itself or hidden itself. I don't think that's it. Here's what I believe. I think that the hidden treasure was you. I think God so loved you that you were such an incredible treasure that he went and sold everything that he had, his son, to somehow make a way for you and him to be together. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. James chapter 1 says, and we out of all creation have become his prized possession. Think that through. You, just the way you are, all your sin and all the junk and all the crumminess of your life, you are his prized possession. You're valuable to God. You matter to God. You're, you're his most prized possession. There's this great story in Matthew chapter 22 where some people were trying to trick Jesus with a question, and it says this in verse 17. Tell us, Jesus, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And so they brought him a denarius, and they asked him, and he asked them, whose portrait is on this, and whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Here's this incredible moment. Blew all these people out of the water. Hey, Jesus, did we pay taxes or not? And Jesus says, give me a coin. And someone flips him a coin. And he goes, whose picture's on this? Well, Caesar's. Whose inscription's on this? Caesar's. If Caesar wants his coin back, give it to him. I don't care about coins. I don't care about homes. I don't care about watches. I don't care about ski doos. I didn't come for a coin. I didn't come for your house or your car or whatever possession you have. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You just make sure you give to God what is God's. And the question you got to ask is, what's God's? You. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that you were made in the very image of God. 
Seals weren't made in the image of God. Whales weren't made in the image of God. Cucumbers weren't made in the image of God. Worms weren't made in the image of God. Hawks weren't made in the image of God. He created them, but you are his unique creation. You are the place that God chooses to live today. And so Jesus says, I don't care about coins. If Caesar wants it back, give it to him. Just make sure you give to me what's mine. And that's you. You see, you are valuable to God. Even with all your sin and junk and all that stuff, when, when Jesus chose Peter to be one of his right-hand men, I mean, Peter was used by God in some incredible ways, wrote one of the books of the Bible. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew it. And yet he said, Peter, come on. I want you to be on my team. And he knew that Peter was going to disown him, deny him. And yet he said, come, Peter. He, he knows about your sin. He understands the weaknesses that we all face. He understands we're going to sin. He came and he forgave you of your sins. And one of the ways he expresses his kindness to you is by affirming your worth. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 49, but the people of Israel said, the Lord has abandoned us. He has forgotten us. So the Lord answers, can a woman forget her own baby and not love the child she bore? And even if a mother should forget her child, I'll never forget you. Jerusalem, I can never forget you. I have written your name on the palms of my hands. You matter to God. Someday we're going to stand in the very presence of God. And I don't think he's going to have your name written here. But I do know this, you're going to be able to see a hole going through this hand and a hole going through this hand. You're going to see a hole in his ankles. You're going to see a, a, a hole in his side. And all that's going to say to you is, you're, you matter to me. You're valuable to me. So the third way that you can be kind to your spouse is to always express how valuable they are to you. That makes sense, right? Remember, we're, we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're not gonna, we're never going to be him. We're not going to be him. But we're to be like him. He understands your weaknesses. He's forgiven you. And now we're to express our, our value to our spouses. And let me give you six just quick things, and, and then we're done. Six ways that you can demonstrate how valuable your spouse is to you. Number one, accept your spouse. Accept them. The Bible says that Jesus Christ accepted you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm so fantastic. It's just, no wonder he accepted me, because I'm a fantastic person. <laughs> and by the way, that's what some of you think. It's just tragic. It really is. He accepted you when you were but a sinner. <laughs> Number two, honor your spouse. First Peter says, honor all people, honor everyone. Right, that probably includes your spouse, right? You gotta honor them. Number three, encourage your spouse. That's one of the ways you, you demonstrate kindness to them. Uh, number four, pray for them. Do you have moments throughout your day when you just get alone and 
in your office or, I don't know, in the, you know, shut the laundry room door and as you're ironing, you know, clothes, just pray for your spouse. One of the great ways you express kindness to them, um, uh, serve your spouse. I think some of those things on my Facebook page, and there were lots of them, were just ways that people were showing kindness by serving them. And number six, and this one's huge, speak gently to your spouse. The Bible says don't use foul or abusive language. Don't, don't do that. Don't talk. Don't use that kind of language with your spouse. You shouldn't use it with anybody, but especially your spouse. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them, like your spouse, right? There are lots of little things that you can do to be, um, to express kindness to your spouse in, 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 in the area of, of making them feel valuable. Lots of little things. Now over in the venue and in here, I want us to say these three things out loud together. Here we go. Number one, out loud. Let's hear it. Number one, I can be kind to my spouse by always being gentle and humble with them. Listen, listen to me. Listen over in the venue. For some of you, the miracle you're waiting on in your marriage could be handled just by that first one. That instead of being judgmental and, and, and condemning with your spouse, that you would just be gentle with them, humble with them. You don't, you don't need to make an appointment to see me. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars on therapy. You just need to start being gentle with them, with your spouse, just being humble with them. Number two, I can be kind to my spouse by always being quick to forgive them of their sin. Once again, you don't need to go see a therapist. You don't need to go see a counselor. Some of you. All you need to do is forgive east to west, not north to south. I got an email from a lady last night. Long email, and I could literally feel the tears in, in the email. And she said, as they were walking out of here, her husband, she had done something pretty crummy. And her husband said to her on the way out, sweetheart, I want you to know, I forgive you east to west. You see, he forgave until he got down to the South Pole. And then he'd remember it again. Say, well, now I'll forgive you. Hard to have a great relationship with anybody when that goes on, huh? For some of you, the miracle might be just saying, you know what? God forgave me, and I need to forgive. Number three, I can be kind to my spouse by always showing them how valuable they are to me. Now look, I know you all love your spouses. I know it. I know it. But maybe today's the day the miracle in your marriage happens when you go home and say, you know what? 
I haven't been expressing that very well. And today is the day I'm going to start. Because they are valuable to me. I'm valuable to God. That means my spouse is valuable to God. And so I need to be valuable to them. Over in the venue, stand up. And here, stand up. Let me pray, and then we're going to go out and party out at the uh, children's area, okay? Got hot dogs, all kinds of fun stuff out there. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. And I'm just really grateful for your word, and I hope that somehow, some way, some of these thoughts made a difference. I know in some, they probably didn't. That's just the reality of life. But I believe that in some, miracles might be happening right now. I believe that, God. Give us a great afternoon, Father, and I pray this in your name. And all the God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, go grab your children, okay? We're late.